Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. This is your host, Bart Carroll, along with Shelley Mazanoble. Trevor Kidd is currently attending PAX East. In today's episode, we'll speak with two more members of the Dungeons & Dragons team, Chris Tulock and Chris Lindsay. As the Tyranny of Dragons campaign wraps up and events switch over to Elemental Evil, we consider the changes taking place in organized play. So welcome to our guest. Chris Tulock is part of the organized play team here at Wizards of the Coast, and Chris Lindsay is part of the D&D brand team. Uh, Chris Tulock, we spoke with you last on September of 2014, which you thought was a mere three months ago, but is actually much further afield. You've been clinging to the memory because it was right. so much fun. Yeah, I don't know time. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to be talking about organized play, and for potentially new listeners or new players who haven't uh, participated yet in organized play, could you give a little introduction about the D&D Adventures League, what it is, and how people might get involved with it? I'd be happy to, Bart. Thanks. <laughs> no, uh, anyway, the D&D Adventures League is our official campaign for uh, Dungeons & Dragons. It's our organized play system that exists. Uh, it's a public play program. Um, it exists at both stores and conventions and other public events uh, worldwide. And basically what it does is it takes the main storyline, the current storyline, whatever that may be. We're you know moving from Tyranny of Dragons to Elemental Evil soon. But that storyline and kind of creates a structured play, public play program around it. So you can take your character that you create at, let's say, um, a store event like D&D Encounters play that character for a while at your store, and then take your character to a convention, um, such as like Gen Con or PAX, or take your character to another public play event and continue to participate in other you know, organized play events um, and, and earn XP and gold and treasure and uh, just keep leveling up your character as you go. And that's, that's a change from previous organized play. Yeah, basically what we had done is we had decided that um, we wanted to really kind of have all of our public play programs talking to each other. Um, in previous organized play systems, we had had, oh, we have a convention play program and then we have a store play program. And they all kind of maybe had some elements that were similar, but they were all different in the way that they kind of felt. And they were all kind of their own little campaigns. And now everything is sort of in one public play campaign. So no matter how you want to participate, um, you now have the opportunity to take that character and uh, keep playing their character everywhere. So you would still say D&D Encounters is a really great place for a new player or someone looking for a casual game or even dungeon masters who are trying to get their feet wet and learn more about dungeon mastering. And yeah. whereas expeditions, maybe people who are more experienced or yeah, looking I, for more convention style play? Yeah, I think so. Um, you'd want to say that basically with D&D Encounters, what you're getting is usually like the main gist of the current storyline, right? right? So you're getting, like if you, for Tyranny of Dragons, for example, you played through a portion of the uh, For Sale adventure, uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen, so you kind of got that main storyline of, oh, you know, Tiamat is, is potentially coming back to the realms for the Cult of the Dragon, and you played through the uh, adventure and which took place in the Sword Coast. When you go to, into a D&D Expeditions adventure, which is usually a little bit more of a, a convention style adventure, um, 
that storyline kind of shifts uh, focus over to the Moon Sea region of the Forgotten Realms, and uh, you wind up kind of involved in that area and see how the Tyranny of Dragons storyline has affected that part of the realms. And then when you say convention style, what do you really mean by that? Um, most of the events that are sort of a convention style game um, usually have sort of a beginning and end within a, sh a set period of time. So if you think of it like in terms of like episodic TV versus, um, versus a, like a longer plot driven model, um, you know, if you have uh, TV that basically has a, you know, problem at the very beginning, a challenge for the for the uh, characters to face, and then they kind of conclude it at the end, like if you're, like, something like the original series of Star Trek, right, had a lot of those. Um, that's more what uh, the D&D expedition style uh, adventures are, right, where you're going to kind of have a self-contained adventure experience in, in one session. And that session's usually around two to four hours long. With D&D Encounters, uh, it sort of builds week to week. It's sort of more of what we consider like a modern style television program, like a drama that you'd see on TV where, you know, you watch something like Mad Men, right? And every week you're kind of watching and building off of the, the previous episodes and you kind of want to be there for each episode. Um, sort of more in the vein of a traditional home campaign where every week, you know, you're building off of the, the, the uh, what happened, what came before. So that's sort of how D&D Encounters is laid out. Um, but they both are compatible with each other, and you can take a character from one of those and move it into the other. And while D&D Expeditions debuts at conventions, eventually those adventures are available at stores. Yeah, correct? absolutely. Yeah, you can play D&D Expeditions adventures at stores and other public play events worldwide. So it's not just at a convention, for example. And that's one of the big changes we made is to make that, you know, that style of gaming available to everyone. Yeah, that's great. So we mentioned at the beginning that Tyranny of Dragons, the current campaign storyline, is pretty much wrapping up. Any thoughts or impressions about how it went? No, it's been great. I mean, Tyranny of Dragons certainly was very popular for us. Uh, we had great numbers in organized play, uh, a lot of people participating in the current season, I guess, or last season. Um, and uh, we had a lot of stores that wanted to be a part of the programs. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's really good. We're waiting on some of our feedback yet from the final few adventures that we released. Uh, um, they debuted in February. They're available for play now. Um, so if you're in a store or going to a public event, uh, you should look for those final few adventures. We released four of them in February, so it was kind of a lot at the end. Yeah, for a short month. Yep, so play them quick um, and then give us your feedback because we are going to close that feedback out at the end of this month. How do people give their feedback? Uh, there's a website you can go to. It's uh, dndadventuresleague.org uh, slash feedback. And if you go there, you can, I think it's actually slash results, I'm sorry. So dndadventuresleague.org slash results. And if you go there, um, you can just enter a quick survey. It's very, takes like, very quick, it takes like two minutes. And just tell us what you thought about the adventures. And it also has a space for you to actually tell us, you know, something cool that happened, right, in your adventure. And we might actually wind up pulling some of those elements uh, into the uh, final sort of official storyline, which we'll release sometime in the month of April. Oh, I'm excited to see that. Very cool. Yeah. So Tiamat didn't actually come back to the realm. She actually went on tour with the Decemberists. That's what I heard. Yeah. yeah I thought I saw some pictures of Tumblr or something. Yeah, she's over in, in the UK right now. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. 
So she did rise. She did. And take over the world. She did. Yeah. And I yeah. guess they're, inevitable. they're actually opening for her. Oh, really? Clear. Nice. <laughs> Let's be clear. That yes. would be so sweet to see like a rock poster with Tia Man on it. <laughs> Tia Man's a cool name for a band. I'm just saying, like, if you're out there and you're thinking about, you know, creating your own band, Tia Man's a good name. I'm, Please contact Mr. Would, Chris Lindsay for permission. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would need five guys, five band members. Right. Yeah. And they Obviously. have to wear like the different, different colors. colors. Right. Yeah. You know, I want to be, I want to be Blue Dragon. I'm just saying. Okay. Do the different heads have different names? I think we've asked this of Chris Perkins before. I don't think uh, we they do. asked him a lot no. of questions and he just stopped <laughs> no, answering them at some point. Because I'm, I'm staring at a Monster Manual 2 from the fourth edition, just a stack of books, and the, the Demigorgon is on the cover, and his heads are individually named, but Tiamat's are right. not? No, but, because Demigorgon's insane. Wait, Demigorgon's <laughs> heads have individual names? Yes, they're yeah. two different personalities. What are their names? This is great trivia. Oh man, I don't remember. I don't either. They do have names though. Each one of them has a name. But, but collectively they're known as Demigorgon? Demogorgon. Yeah, Demogorgon. Demogorgon. It's okay. Amiel it's cool. and Hethradia. I call it Demi for short. It's, yeah, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> what? You're just thinking it? of Demi Morgorgon. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is named Bob. And the other one's named Grover. Oh, no, nice. They're uh, Amiel and Hethradia. There you go. Just Okay, but Tiamat's heads do not. They're no, just Tiamat. They're just Tiamat. Tiamat's one prison. Does yes. Tiamat have like five brains, or does Tiamat have like maybe like a sixth brain in her, in her like in her torso, <laughs> or her heads like <laughs> octopus arms, where they're they're right. pretty independent, but there's right. one central intelligence. I mean, I know she's got obviously because she's got the different dragon heads. There's a brain in each one of those dragon heads, but is there like another brain? It'd be kind of cool if there was. If you ever play with a dungeon master who's willing to softball that encounter enough so that you can kill Tiamat, <laughs> then you can like Chris pick Lindsay it apart and figure it out. It'll never master. be at my table, though. That's probably so, true. Do you think? Because well, actually, Chris Lindsay, you you wrote one of the adventure, the final adventure for Tyranny of Dragons, right? I did. Yeah. Which is called? Uh, it's called uh, Escape from Flan. So, mm, do you wow. think that ad- adventures are mostly, or do more dungeon masters write adventures or more players? Do you mean for the D and D Adventures no, League, just or just in general? In general? Like who's in, more drawn to that? In general, dungeon masters are drawn towards because they want to tell a story, right? right? And yes. so a dungeon master would have uh, a much stronger inclination to actually sit down and put together an adventure um, than a player would. I mean, players might you know play around with story elements and stuff like that, yeah. you know, because there's a, there's always that game away from the game where you're kind of messing with your books. But the the ones that are actually going to sit down and create something that you can carry. Uh, a group of players all the way through is going to be a dungeon master because they really have the impetus to do that. If you're going to write an adventure, you're you're going to want to run it. Yeah, and yeah. can you tell from the from the adventure what style dungeon master this this person was that wrote it? Because I'm assuming you're writing. <laughs> you're there's writing, a lot of death traps in the adventure. Yes. The DM is he's that kind hardcore. of guy. Because you're writing probably an adventure that you want to run, that you're interested in running. Sure, the ones it, that you're drawn to. It sometimes it depends on. How experienced a dungeon master they are, because or what their interests are. So there are dungeon masters who tend to gravitate towards a certain style of play, and then there are, are other dungeon masters who have uh, styles in many different or interests in many different styles of play, and they like to see uh, all kinds of different types of um, activity happen at their table. So uh, for me personally, uh, each adventure is kind of a, a new nugget. As it were, it's a new, it's a new trick. 
Um, I try to make them a little bit different from each other, and I try to approach each one uh, differently as well. Yeah, and I, I'd say that, like, just for you know clarification, I think um, that really um, when somebody is uh, working on an adventure, you know, and you, we talk about writing an adventure, and I was thinking about this earlier today. You're not really writing an adventure in the same way that you're writing a novel, right? Yes. You're you're designing an adventure because really what you're doing is you're creating a game, right? You're creating the, a toolkit right. for the players and the dungeon masters to tell stories with, right? So they're the ones that are ultimately creating the story. What you're doing is you're giving them all these narrative elements to inspire them to have that story together. Exactly. You, you put all the pieces together in the, in the box, as it were, and then you give the dungeon master basically a list of instructions, you know, here's everything you find in your box, you know, three, you know, two inch screws, one, one inch screw, you know, so forth and so on, right? And here are different ways that you can put these together in order to make a adventure happen. Um, sometimes adventures are more linear, in which case the instructions are very um, uh, confining as far as how the adventure runs. Proscribed, uh, maybe. Yeah, proscribed, as it were, yeah. And uh, some adventures are can be sandboxy, which means you say, here's an area and all the stuff that's in the area, and here's their goal, go. So when we did the employee night just a couple of nights ago, actually, we ran through one of the adventures that was very sandboxy. You it had was, to, extremely. What, uh, the, what was the title of that one? The name eludes me. Outlaws of the Iron Route? Yeah. yeah. Outlaws of the Iron Route. Yeah. yeah, designed by Will Doyle. Because you could hear what we were doing at our table, and you couldn't help but overhear what was happening at the other table, and you could just hear where the points of comparisons were and where the divergence were. Yeah, there are two wildly different experiences going on, uh, and it really had a lot to do with player choice, right? Because you, you put the goal out there and you basically illustrate you know, the area and what's going on, and two totally different groups made two totally different group of decisions, and they had two totally different experiences. Um, some more successful than others. So are you? <laughs> I think we were the less successful. You were the less successful. Which was odd because we had two of the guys who are are pretty integral to the D and D Adventures League as well yeah. as players at the table. Yeah, but they just love to to see what happens next. They don't care about actually, you know, they're not going to like tell you everything that's going to happen or that could happen. Mission success is not the priority. No, it's no, they just want enjoyment of the game. Absolutely. So I, I'm really curious about adventure design. Like you said, it's adventure design. It's not necessarily writing an adventure. You're yeah, designing I mean, you still have adventure. those elements, right, yes. where you're writing some things. But, but, uh, but obviously, the, it's more of a designing a game, right? Taking the elements of, of our game and designing it into a, its own game, right? That's what an adventure really is. So when you're writing thing, when you're writing your adventure, are you thinking always about the different ways that the player is going to take this? Like, this is what I have in mind, but it could go in this direction, so yeah. in this direction, so I'm going to write. Exactly. Gonna... One of the things you have to take into account when you're putting the adventure together, when you're designing it, um, is uh, if I'm playing through this adventure, what would I do, you know, and, and what else might I try, right? Think of all the different possible things that a player might have at their disposal once they get into the setting and the, and the story, and then um, make some educated guesses based on that, and then make sure that you have some of those larger bases covered, right? So for example, if the player characters are capable of flight, then you have to take that into account. 
So you have to decide how big of a role will flight take in this adventure. Will it foil some of my encounters that I've set up? Or am I gonna set the encounter up so that um, it accounts for people who have flight? Yep. So always keep thing. in mind the chaotic neutral players. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, whatever they would try, just make sure you've got them. PC uh, stands for plot corruptor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Not, not player character. Yeah. The, the other thing, too, is that what you're really trying to do with adventure design, and I think Chris would back me up on this, yeah. is uh, you are trying to basically create uh, the opportunity for these amazing moments to exist within the game. Right, so you're not necessarily proscribing those moments. You're not saying this is that moment, but what you're doing is you're giving people the potential for those moments to exist. Right, so you know, creating a, for example, an adventure that, like, if you look look at um, some of the classic adventures, right, creating an adventure that has something like uh, um, was the studying of the hill giant chief, where you have this you know big celebration going on. Right, and all the giants are celebrating, and you kind of sneak into the you sneak into the compound, right? And you you know, and you get to do whatever you want, right? Within that, right, that creates a moment where you can really have these opportunities for these awesome gaming sessions. Yep. And so, even with some of the D and D Adventurers League stuff, we're still looking for the same thing, right? We're looking for the same thing that any a really good adventure would would have, which is creating those opportunities for those moments to exist. And I think Chris's adventure, for example, Escape from Valan, uh, does a lot of that, right? There's, there are definitely three or four really awesome moments that I found in that adventure where it's just like, yeah, that's, that's going to be really cool. And doesn't matter what way the group decides to take it, you know that's going to be memorable. So I should have known from the title, but I was excited to hear that it had a real-world inspiration. It does, yeah. It was inspired by Escape from New York. Uh, <laughs> it is a movie with Kurt Russell. It's fantastic. And I... Uh, when I was working on it, uh, one of the first things I do when I get ready to put together an adventure, for any adventure, is I try and decide what the overall tone of the adventure is going to be and then make my design choices for the adventure based on that um, so that I, that comes across really strongly. And so like Escape from New York, this has a really kind of dark, oppressive, scary feel to it. I want the players to be unsure of themselves, and I don't want to give them... Uh, uh, unlike other D&D adventures where y you go into town and there's all these people and you can talk to all these people and they're there to help you. Uh, here you go into town and nobody's around and there's nobody there to tell you what to do. In fact, you're looking for them and that's really the goal. <laughs> where <laughs> right. did all the people go? So, please tell me there's a Duke of Falan, A number one. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the dragon, isn't it? Yes, that would be for Ganshreks. Yeah, <laughs> so there was actually a, a funny article, and I don't remember where it was originally posted, but we linked to it on our Tumblr about um, non-D&D movies that you should use as inspiration for your next campaign. Yeah. There was... Escape from New York was not one of them, oddly enough. It should have been. It that's should a, be. That's a, that's a perfect movie, movie yeah. for a D&D uh -huh. uh, The again. Siege, Taken. Escape from New York, let's be clear, not Escape from L.A. Yeah, <laughs> Escape from New York, exactly. I don't think I even ever watched Escape from L.A., to be perfectly honest. Oh, You're better you off. Should, yeah, you should that. probably watch it, though, just so you can understand how good Escape from New York really is. Yeah. Now, are there any types of guidelines, formulas that are like, this is an adventure from levels one to five, so you should have this many monsters, this many encounters, this many whatever. Yeah, Because I, mean, I feel that. like the whole world is open to you. You would just 
had so all of those resources holders. are actually available to you inside the dungeon master's guide. Right. There's 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 a table there and it and it shows you how a couple of tables actually and they show you how to put together the encounter and do the math to make sure that you're creating appropriate level of encounters okay. for yeah. the group. But backing up even from that, like if you look at like the D&D Adventures League adventures, like uh, our D&D Expeditions adventures, for example, like the one Chris worked on, right? What we're, what we're giving our adventure designers at the start is we're giving them a basic concept. When Chris uh, signed on to write that adventure, to design that adventure, um, what he got is he got already a description of the adventure, a name for the adventure, and some and a small amount a of name requirements. For the yeah, so we had already named the adventure. We had already, already described named it. Escape it. from Falan. Yeah, we already named it Escape from Falan. We didn't. I didn't know that he was going to necessarily go with Escape from New York as his theme, but certainly that's suggestive in the title, right? That you could go that way. Um, but the idea is what we're trying to do is we're trying to give our designers at least a box to start designing in. So because. What happens is if you just tell people, like you said, the world is open right. to you, it becomes a little daunting to know what I really should work on. Like, oh, you know, if I don't have a couple ideas in the can, right, that I really want to, you know, express in an adventure, then I might spend, you know, a couple of weeks just spinning my wheels just trying to figure out what's a good idea. But if we can give you mm -hmm. basically a, some, some structure, right, to start, and that structure is very basic, right, just like, hey, here's just sort of the, the high level idea behind this adventure, then you can go ahead and easily write an outline based on that, yep. right? And that's how we do all of our D and D Adventures League adventures. We don't we don't accept uh, we don't accept basically blind submissions for adventures. What we do is we have a stable of adventure designers, and we just closed an open open call on that um, to actually add some more names to it. And uh, that stable of adventure designers, we just kind of work through them like you would like in like a bullpen for you know mm -hmm. a baseball team, right? And we go through the bullpen, right? And okay, it's your turn to pitch, right? You know, it's okay, it's your turn to 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 design an adventure, and we'll give you you know a concept, and and then you'll you'll tell us whether or not you want to do that one, and then we'll we'll get you started. So we talked about tyranny of dragons wrapping up, and now we're going to be moving into elemental evil. So what might you tell us about that? I'm told it's going to be all 94 naturally occurring elements? Yes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> in exactly. one adventure? Right, in one adventure, actually. That's the puzzle. At level one. I want, I want cobalt. You want cobalt? <laughs> you want to have the cobalt kobolds? That's Is right. that what you want? We try and do that joke every April Fool's Day. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty... It's hard. Yeah. People, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, we did the periodic table of dragons one year. And like, oh, okay. I've seen that, actually. I saw somebody made, like, a poster of that recently. I think I saw it in Victoria. Oh, really? Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe maybe our idea caught on and somebody Please actually... Please contact Chris Lindsay for permission. Right. <laughs> so, but, um, Thanks. But basically... <laughs> What we're looking at with it. so elemental evil, the the basic storyline is there's these these four elemental cults. Chris probably can actually you want to you want to take it from here and tell them the basic overview, and then and I can kind of talk about the D and D Adventures League. Sure. So, so elemental evil, there are there are four cults, uh, and each cult uh, has a prophet, and the prophets all kind of report back into this very nebulous entity that's referred to as the Elder Elemental Eye. And that's what kind of keeps them together. Uh, and basically, the theme is uh, uh, getting into the uh, elemental evil adventure. You'll want to be looking out for all of the uh, different things. It's like it's all about deception. You want to look for what's hidden beneath the surface. And uh, uh, I think it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, Don't I think know so who too. To trust. Yeah, I, I. It's kind of like they're. 
the, these cults are kind of like these, like almost like these fantasy terrorist cells, right? Where they kind of come in and 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 you don't know where that you know who exactly they are, and they could be bringing these devastation orbs, right, to your exactly. to your village or town or city or whatever, and that's really kind of it's kind of scary, and it's very different. I feel it's very different than um, what we saw in Tyranny of Dragons, right? Where that cult is more megalomaniacal, right? right? And it's like, ah, ha, 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 we're going to bring Tiamat. You know, they're really kind of like out there, right? And it's obvious that these are these are Cult of the Dragon guys. The, here, it's more like anybody could be part of one of these ele- elemental evil cults, right? And your neighbor could be a part of You're it. You're going to be rolling a lot of perception you know, checks. Yeah, that cleric that runs that, that the, the temple could be a part of it, right? The, the, the merchant that makes, you know, regular, you know, runs across the moon sea could be a part of it, right? You don't know, right? And the thing is, is that they're less interested in ruling the world than they are right. in just seeing it burn or get <laughs> buried in the earth or drown or right. they just want to see everything go away. Yes. Yeah, they and, and that's pretty scary to deal with a group of nihilists really, you know, because they there's no way to really persuade them. Whereas right. with the call of the dragon, you could dangle things in front of them, you know, that individuals would really really be interested in like power or like, you know, learning some bit of draconic lore that they had not known before. With these guys, you know, a lot of, you know, all bets are off when it comes to stuff like that, right? And what can you tell us about the player's guide that is player's going to be associated? Player's Companion, sorry. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> so the Player's Companion is going to be released uh, here very soon. It's going to be a very short... Uh, it'll be released. Uh, actually, actually, yeah, by the time this airs, it'll be out. Yeah. We are in the future. Oh, well, <laughs> and there you have it. It is released. So it's released <laughs> soon. <laughs> it's available right now. Excuse me. And... Uh, 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 this radio thing is tricky. <laughs> so, uh, it's going to have uh, some, some very compelling options for our players to engage with uh, in order to make their characters. Uh, there's going to be uh, four new races. Uh, Everybody loves new races. Yes, wow. and a whole cachet of new spells to play with. So it's a lot uh, of spells packed in there. There are, in fact, a lot of spells. For our races, we have the Deep Gnome, uh, mm-hmm. we have the Goliath, uh, Genasi, and uh, the Aarakocra. That's the noise the Aarakocra makes. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Chris. Tulak will provide sound effects. Right. Only and, for uh, and, and spells, I'm not going to go through those, but there's some, <laughs> there's some old lot. classics revisited and some new stuff as well. And so, so the Player's Companion is a supplement that's available for free. Mm-hmm. You can download it on our website, dungeonsandragons.com, or through DriveThruRPG. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah, just a bit of housekeeping. By the time this podcast does air, we'll have some additional information about the Elemental Evil Cults up on the website. We'll have the Player's Companion available for download on the website. and Lots of new information. New information and uh, more on the organized play program and the, uh, the products as well. And the pl- player supplement, the new races and spells... Almost all of them can be used Almost in your all. Adventurers League yes. campaign. So they we're going to update the D and D Adventurers League Players Guide, which is the sort of the go-to rules document. Uh, it'll be updated for the new season. Uh, we plan on updating it seasonally, so this will be the first time it's been updated since it was released. It was released with Tyranny of Dragons. Um, in that update, uh, we have a couple of uh, uh, changes there. Um, some of them are more minor, um, uh, but the big the biggest thing is, of course. If you are starting a new character and attaching that character to the Elemental Evil storyline, you'll have different uh, options available for you, as opposed to the Tyranny of Dragons characters. They have, you know, their options available to them. Um, 
amongst those options available to the new characters will include the new races and spells in the Elemental Evil Player's Companion, um, with the exception of the Aarakocra. Uh, that one's going to be restricted because uh, Aarakocra can fly, and it's sort of a DM, it's sort of a, a, a DM, you know, judgment call on the weather. Aarakocra should be allowed in your campaign, so we kind of have, have kind of said, oh, well, we'll make them restricted for now, and we'll see how things go. Would, would you let them in your campaign? <laughs> uh, I think it depends. It depends on what kind of campaign I'm going to run. I right. mean, if I was going to run a campaign where I felt like having a first-level character that could fly uh, would would um, really kind of restrict the kinds of narratives my players and I wanted to have, then I might not allow it, but if it's something where I think it could actually open up opportunities and be really interesting, um, then I, you know, then I would be, have no problem with it at all. If there's a certain monkey wrench you're throwing into a game, <laughs> as soon as you say, can a player character fly? And then you have to think of that level. every single time yeah. you actually put something together. What were you trying to say, Bart? Now, now it's not important at all. I was yeah. just going to wax on about my Kenku character. Oh, oh I, I hated that guy. I love Kenku. <laughs> R&D, so if you listen to this podcast, we should do some Kenku. No. But anyway, the, the other... Like to play test them. Just DMs make sure that all adventures take place in like a, a bounded hallway where you can't yeah. fly over anywhere. The other thing I wanted to just mo mention with the uh, the D&D Adventures League Player's Guide update for Elemental Evil is uh, one of the other things that we're adding, which I think a lot of our listeners might be excited about, is if you are um, a person that does any kind of online streaming, um, like, like let's say you have a Twitch channel or perhaps you post on YouTube or whatever, um, you will be treated as though you're a public play location um, and you can request access to our D&D Expeditions adventures in the same way that like a convention or a store would request access to them. Um, you just simply contact our game support team and you just provide them with your whatever uh, account, user account name so they can just verify it um, and then they'll give you access to those adventures. We do really believe that like online streaming is an important part of the D&D play experience. It certainly reaches an audience that is not necessarily reached just from public play locations. So, and it is basically a public event, right? You know, a lot of people sit and watch uh, other people uh, play Dungeons & Dragons online, and it's really cool. And you'll be getting access to the current yeah. the storyline, so it's a great way to experience the elemental evil. It is. Yeah, it's really cool, and you can share it with everybody. I mean, you'll be playing with your group, but you'll be sharing it with all those other people that, yeah. that want to see so an even actual watching game. the game, you get yeah. to see what's going on. So if you are playing, if you are going to be doing D&D Encounters, what would that experience be like for Elemental Evil? We've got the Princes of the Apocalypse is sort of the foundational adventure. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Princes of the Apocalypse is the foundational adventure. What we're doing is something similar to what we did with the Tyranny of Dragons storyline, and we took Horde of the Dragon Queen, and we kind of cut it down and kind of provided the first few levels worth of play uh, as a complimentary downloadable PDF. We're doing the same thing uh, with Princes of the Apocalypse, so you'll see uh, part of Princess of the Apocalypse that, uh, that should be available now as a downloadable PDF. Uh, that'll be available through the same channels that you get the D&D Expeditions Adventures. So uh, if you're a store or a convention or another public play location or online streamer, you can go ahead and contact the game support team and get, get the password access to that site and download the adventure. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna have, I think the first four levels of play should basically be available. Uh, uh, through that. Um, and if you're looking, if you have a copy of Princess of the Apocalypse uh, in front of you, um, it may not be out yet when you hear this episode, but it probably will be soon. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be mostly chapters three and six, 
Um, not all of chapter six. Chapter six has got a lot of side treks and stuff in it, but it's going to be, I think, all of chapter three and a good portion of chapter six that'll be available for uh, the uh, D&D Encounters play. And D&D cool. Encounters is still Wednesday nights. Yeah, weekly Wednesdays at your store. Near you. Yep. And Expeditions... Yes, for expeditions, how would that play experience uh, come about? <laughs> so that's going to be set. So the D and D encounter stuff is, you know, it's Prince of the Apocalypse. It's set in the Moon Sea, re- or I'm sorry, the Sword Coast region uh, of the Forgotten Realms. Uh, a lot like Tyranny of Dragons was set in the Sword Coast region. Different parts of the Sword Coast, but they're both kind of in that area. Um, and D and D expeditions is set in the Moon Sea region, like like Tyranny Dragons D&D Expeditions was set in. Um, but what we're doing is we're moving our lens um, from Falan over to the city of Mullmaster. So Mullmaster is sort of like this, you know, intrigue-laden, a larger city, lar- you know, than, than Falan. Falan's a town. Um, more organized, much more organized, right? Uh, much more um, <laughs> tyrannical in a way, right? Because the organization is very, like, lawful evil in nature. Um, and um, there'll be a series of 15 different D&D expeditions adventures released throughout the Elemental Evil season that you'll be able to play. Um, those will take place in and around Mullmaster, and there's some special rules uh, that characters will see you know, as a result of that, like when they're playing in Mullmaster, including uh, the uh, new faction benefits uh, for those characters that have made it to the third rank of their faction, right, and they get a special access to a special downtime activity. Uh, basically, those will be listed in the player's guide. You'll be able to say, "Hey, when I'm in Mole Master, I can do these special things oh, if I'm part of these cool. factions." Yep. I keep hearing Mole Master. Mole Master. Yeah, it'd be a much different Mole. town. Mole Master. The Mole Master. <laughs> <laughs> Mole Master, City of Danger. Yeah, and City of Danger is the first uh, adventure. Uh, through the D&D Expeditions uh, system that is being released. Um, that's a great intro adventure because it's a lot like uh, Defiance and Falam, which was the last one we did for Tyranny of Dragons. It's a series of, of uh, five basically very short one or two hour play experiences. So something that's perfect for you know a quick evening or if you're playing it at a convention, you can play a bunch of them in, in a very short period of time. And they're each going to give you sort of a different feel of what you know, adventuring in and around Mullmaster is about. Um, and of course, they're also going to introduce the elemental cults and the elemental evil storyline in their own way. Is City of Danger referring to Mullmaster? Yes. That it's is a actually... Terrible tourism name. They're not going to get... Oh, no. You'd have so many... You would have so many people <laughs> going to, to the go. City of Danger? Exactly. <laughs> That's why we chose it. it. Not I mean, big sky country it, for yeah, sunshine state. Right. Well, it's like a challenge, <laughs> right? Oh, of city of danger. Yeah, I want to go to the city of danger. <laughs> now you'd have a lot of hardcore tourists, yeah. even in the real world. Not a lot of honeymooners, probably. Right? It's like 1970s <laughs> New York City, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Escape from yeah. escape from New York. It all circles back. Right. And then we didn't talk about D and D epics, did we? No, we didn't talk much about it, but uh, actually, I think Chris Lindsay's working on our uh, D&D Epics adventure we have for the Elemental Evil and season. D&D Epics, just for people who don't know what that is. Right. That's uh, that's a big, like, multi-table interactive experience, right? And these things occur really only at, like, bigger shows, like yeah. conventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did uh, our last one, which was uh, Corruption in Crypt Garden, ran at Gen Con and PAX Prime and Fan Expo Canada and Dragon Con last year. And this next one is running at Origins um, this year. And uh, so we're in the process of designing it right now. Uh, Chris Lindsay is one of the designers on uh, this 
this adventure, and it's pretty epic because it's like four different adventures in one, basically. And yeah, four we took designers. Right, four designers, and each one of us picked an element essentially, and uh, are designing to that element. Uh, each one will have its own essential scenario, and as adventurers come in to play the epic, they will be divided into groups going after one element or another, and each scenario is gonna be uh, uh, probably themed a little bit differently other than being within its element. Uh, the designers are all working together as well to see how uh, goals accomplished in their given elements might affect adventurers who are basically in the other adventures at the same time, mm. right? Um, Did we mention what element you're going to be working I'm on? I am currently working on water. I'm a big fan of water, yes. And I can just tell you uh, that mine's going to have a very military strike force kind of feel. Very different from my Escape from Flan. Uh, and it's going to be pretty awesome. I can't wait. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great experience. Uh, if you manage to get to the Origins Game Fair uh, in early June, uh, you should totally check it out because it'll be a really fun time. I know that when we ran um, Corruption and Crypt Garden, the previous D&D Epics adventure, everybody commented on how wonderful and amazing and epic it felt. It was so, so much fun just to watch it. Yeah. I didn't even play. I was just walking around, and I meant to just be there for, I'm just going to stop by and see how it is and then move on to this other event. Mm -mm. I stayed the entire I dungeon, time. I dungeon master Chris Lynch's Lindsay's table. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> it was pretty cool. You right had over Con. 90 tables at Gen Con? Yeah, we oh, had so 96, 96 different, 96 dungeon masters running that and uh, over 700 players at, yeah. at one time playing. It was ridiculous. The only thing we were missing was Guinness. You know? <laughs> I, don't mean, I don't mean the beer. I mean oh. of world records. Oh, right. well, I was, I I was went like, to the I was, beer. I know. I know. Was, yeah. Like a nice IPA would have been good. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that, that's got to be some kind of world record. The biggest D and D single D and D game ever. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. It wow. was an awesome interactive game, and everything kind of tied back into each other. So yeah, it, was it was really cool. It was just so cool to feel the energy in the room. I will say that as we played through Chris's uh, dungeon mastering our thing, that Trevor Kid whom you all probably know very well now, spirit. and I had our own little feud going on during the entire time and spent the entire adventure trying to circumvent each other as he was playing a member Can of the Zentarum. Is it, is this like a, a Trevor thing? Because I feel like in our game, he does that to me I think too. They, I think they both just like conflict. Oh yeah. Well he was a Zent and I'm a Harper and that's just how a it zent. went. He's a Zent. That's what we call members of the Zentarum. Yeah. So have you guys ever seen people playing adventures that you designed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it weird? Do you no, like kind of eavesdrop? Like, oh, what are they saying? I, yeah. Are they I, having I, fun? Yeah, I'm actually more it. curious about what the dungeon master is doing, about what's going on in their head right. as they're running it, than I am about the players. The players are going to react to whatever the dungeon master, dungeon master does. Right. But I want to see what is the dungeon master thinking as they're doing this, because they'll have their own take on it when they peel apart all the elements. Yeah, I got to run my uh, adventure, Dungeon Master, my adventure at Gatacon at the end of uh, February in oh, Victoria, cool. and it was really great. You know, I wound up uh, running a table through it, and it's just fun to fun to see, you know, how players also respond. Yeah. But I agree with Chris. It's even more fun to see sort of what the Dungeon Master does with what you've written because, again, it's like, you know, it's a toolbox that you've given them, right? And it's like, here, what are you going to do with these tools? Like, what are you going to build? Right, and so it's really cool to see that. Yeah, it's gotta be. 
So I know we talked about this before we actually started recording, but since we're we're through our outline, except it comes down to witty banter. Oh right. Oh yeah, that's oh, right. Strict banter. Chris Tulak's mandate. And, he will and, only do podcasts if there's witty banter. So I was asking about uh, introducing D and D to kids, and Ryan, our technical producer, is a new father. So congratulations Yay. to Ryan. Wake up, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> so so that came up as well. I, I was I was wondering how I might introduce my kids someday to well, to Dungeons and Dragons. Just to a little background. I think you were really affected by hearing Mark Painter say his kid <laughs> was not into action figures. That shocked me to I my soul. I have never seen you more disappointed as a father. I, I appreciate that Quinn might not be into action figures for as long as I was. But to hear that Mark Painter's kid by seven was... Done with them. Missed the window. I mean, I, yes, that that was that was heartbreaking to me. Uh, but you've been collecting action figures for the last several years under the guise. Yeah, quote unquote for Quinn. <laughs> but for Dungeons and Dragons, I would really love to introduce Quinn to it someday. And my thinking was, well, we're I'm going to sit down and make him play the game. But you had other ideas about how that might be better approached. Chris Lindsay, father yeah, of four. Just, you know. Basically, the best thing to do is to let him see somebody else playing and having a really good time, right? Uh, denial will make like his first game so much sweeter <laughs> by not allowing him to play the first one or two game sessions and having him just you know see what is this magical thing that these people are doing and they're having such a fantastic time and uh, then he'll get to sit down and play. And creating that first character can be a really awesome experience and you never know what they're gonna come up with when they create that character. Uh, however, uh, probably one of the most scary things that can happen in your game with a child uh, is um, the first time that uh, you as dad and the dungeon master uh, kill that character. Oh. You do? You, you don't, come on! Absolutely. <laughs> you can't pull punches. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no, you cannot. You cannot pull punches with the characters. Uh, the characters, at some point, the child, just like anybody else who's playing the game, will make a decision, or the dice will go against them, or whatever the case may be, lesson. and the character dies. But it, it's Dungeons and Dragons. You yes. could do an adventure where we're going to try and raise the dead, or resurrection, or something Absolutely. along those lines. You can do that, and but also, you'll be amazed how the game of just making characters will inspire your 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 child player to just be like, that's cool, I got this other one oh, over here. He's in, the, he's in the wings, he's waiting. Right. He's like, can he be second level now? Oh. Yeah, making characters is like half of the fun of Oh, yeah. I guess it's a good oh, life yeah. lesson. It'll certainly make it easier when their goldfish keep dying. Right. <laughs> well, I think... With but the, then he's going to try to raise the goldfish. Right. The spell's not working. Oh. Well, there's a spell oh. failure yes, chance. We'll just keep buying new goldfish. So just it, out of curiosity, uh, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. When you were making characters with your kids, did they need all attributes to be 18, or were they cool with, well, this is a 17 here and a 4 here? No, 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 they, they get it. You just explain to them, you know, hey, just like you this character, this person, is good at some things and not as good at others, so what do you want them to be good at, mm -hmm. right? And then you go from that standpoint, right? Um, so, although I will say, ultimately, the most exciting moment for a father is when their, their kid, in my case, my son, uh, sits down and DMs their first game for you. Mm. That's awesome. Oh, that had to be awesome. It was very, it was very cool. 
Cool. Alexander is a fantastic dungeon master. Did he kill your character? He did not kill my character. He's got to be better than that. <laughs> did you make it hard for him? Were you just like... No, no, not at all. I, I did no harder than I do for my regular dungeon master, Rodney Thompson. So, you know, pretty hard. Yeah, but <laughs> I've heard that's yeah, not Chris, Chris and I both play in a, in a, uh, a bi-weekly game that's run by Rodney Thompson. We're both oh, players you're in, in that, that game, game, too? Yeah. yeah. But by the time he got to that point where he was dungeon mastering, he was so ready to do it. I mean, if he really wanted to kill me, he could have. He knew he had infinite resources to do that with. There was no what question in his mind. fell right on you. But he's a fantastic storyteller. <laughs> so he, he really wanted to just have everybody have a good time, it's which was blood. the best thing. What's what? the sweet spot age-wise? When do you start introducing? Uh, 18 months. <laughs> well, I would say each kid it's different, right? Yeah. But um, I, I, I could say, you know, like I got into Dungeons and Dragons at 10, mm -hmm. and I think that that's a really good age around that time, especially for brainier kids, right? You know, our games say, you know, ages 12 plus on the, right. on the product. But uh, I would say, like, if you're actually, like, if you're, if you have a kid that's really, really smart and really likes that kind of stuff, like is really into fantasy, I would say around 9 or 10 years old is probably a really good age. I, I would um, say, I would say it's closer, for me, it's closer to, like, 11 or 12, um, for a more robust experience so that they right. fully grasp all of the decisions they're making. Mm -hmm. I think um, introduce the concepts oh, yeah. earlier, because I mean, th that's what kid, kids are role playing. Yeah, they're role playing that's from an early do, age, yeah. right? You know? Yeah, and I mean, you can certainly, yeah, you could certainly at least have a proto D&D game that's very similar, right? And I know that, uh, you know, there are some other games that are out there that are structured more for little little kids. But uh, but yeah, Dungeons and Dragons can be stripped down too for that. As soon as dice are no longer a choking hazard. <laughs> right. That's why you got to get the big <laughs> foam dice. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, on that note, I think we'll let you guys get back to designing adventures and uh, organizing play and uh, managing brands. Yes. Sounds good. Sweet. <laughs> More work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so on behalf of uh, Shelley Mazinoble and myself, thank you to Chris Tulock and Chris Lindsay. I can speak for myself. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. I'm not going to get in the middle of that. Just kidding. <laughs> As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Of course, you can download the podcast from the D&D website, DungeonsAndDragons.com, under the media section or subscribe directly from iTunes.